0: This is Tom Fox. Over the next several episodes, Professor Karen Woody and myself are going to take the Woody report in a different direction. We're going to take a look at the great HBO series Succession Season 4. We're going to dissect it and give you the synopsis, and then Karen and I are going to talk about how it fits into the cultural milieu, what it means for securities law and other laws as the... Logan family goes through its throes of whether to have succession or not. I know you'll enjoy this series. Today, episode four, Honeymoon States. The episode opens with us, the audience, finding out that Shiv is pregnant. And indeed, she's been pregnant for 20 weeks when her amnio comes back clear. Logan's family and close associates gather at his apartment for his wake. Hugo approaches Kendall and informs him of a potential insider trading scandal involving Hugo's daughter. Frank finds an undated document in Logan's safe naming Kendall as a successor upon Logan's death. Kendall is taken aback by the news while the others debate the document's legitimacy. Since the company's succession plan formally dictated that, a, that leadership would be passed Onto the CEO, a title Roman currently holds. Kendall and Roman decide to run the company as co-CEOs. The brothers promise to involve Shiv in all operational decisions, but she feels dejected regardless. Given Kendall's past controversies, Hugo and Carolina propose a PR campaign questioning Logan's judgment leading up to his death, which Roman shuts down. Kendall, however, privately agrees and leverages Hugo to go through with his strategy on the down low. Now, Karen Woody. Karen, after episode three, I'm not surprised. I had a little bit of a letdown. I don't know how you felt about this. We both agreed episode three was one of the finest hours we had ever seen on television. And it would take a hell of an episode to top that. And they didn't. But the more I thought about it, um, that's probably the way it would happen in real life. Mm -hmm. That uh, if you had a traumatic event here, the death of their father, Logan Roy, you you would grieve. You would be full of emotions. And there was a lot of emotions going on here. So can we just start with Shiv?
1: Wow, this episode... (laughs) There's a lot happening for Shiv. I feel like we see finally her vulnerability with the obvious, even before the credits, we learn that she's pregnant. And I'm sure there's a lot of wild speculating about backdating that to, you know, making sure maybe this is Tom's baby, I assume. But even that is, you know, a vulnerable state of affairs and she's not used to that. And then they actually even wrote in that she falls, a trip, the um, stumble toward the end of the episode. To me, it was almost over the top of, you know, she's the one that's also not in of the three kids. It's sort of not going forward in a leadership role after I'm sure we'll talk about the the, you know, scrawl that, you know, creates a lot of mixed feelings on the the codicil, whatever we're going to call that extra paper from Logan. But so in all of that, it seems like in every scene, Shiv either is boxed out or is uh, shown to have some. Vulnerability or just not getting a fair shake in certain situations. So I thought this episode was in some ways a lot about that. And I thought that was, that was hard to see.
0: Uh, I read somewhere. It said she was the youngest. I always assumed she was the middle.
1: I did too. I assume everyone always assumed Roman's the youngest. I thought
0: (laughs) (laughs) he acted the most immature. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, well, the, after we find out about that call, is told, or we find out. And this is not, oh, this just happened. This is 20 weeks in. Mm-hmm. So she's known for a while, and she's not shared that with her still husband, or right. apparently anyone other than her OBG. But the opening scene at the apartment, Marsha reappears. I know it. And she just commands the set. First of all, as much as I thought, the last episode would have made a great theatrical performance. I thought this one was even more so because it was all within the confines of the apartment Mm -hmm. and two floors of the apartment. And I could easily see a very innovative director creating that on the stage. And it would have been just fabulous. Uh, But Marsha's there and she's still Mm. married to Logan uh, and she is gonna get her pound of dollars. I don't think flesh <laughs> I think she she sees it and then so we start with Connor. I guess we have to start with Connor and the sale of the condo um I have hand shook on a lot of contracts, but I have never spit in my hand.
1: No, I actually thought I that was an outlier. I don't think either one of those characters maybe that that to me seemed again one of the points in the episode when I thought they just aren't living up to the last week. And also I don't, I don't think Marsha would ever spit. And I mean, unless that just, that was so out of the blue. I mean, I appreciate what they're trying to do with her being sort of a, you know, a heavy negotiator. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that's even within the ballpark of what that apartment or townhouse would, would fetch. And she just sort of throws that out there. But yeah, the spit handshake, that was, that was out of the blue. I thought.
0: So I'm going to get to Stewie for a lot of reasons a little bit later, but Stewie and Marsha to me had one thing in common, which was they were playing chess where the Logan kids were playing checkers <laughs> and Connor got completely outplayed by Marsha in that scene. She outacted him. She out adulted him. <laughs> she outnegotiated negotiated him. Uh, it, it really was like he was just a little boy asking for something from her. And, and she played it for all it was worth. And I don't know how much of that's going to be taxed, but okay. $63 million, even with taxes, is a nice little sum.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, we didn't even say, like, is it even in her name? I mean, there were so many questions that I'm like, she just sold? That just seems so... But I think that almost played into how naive your Connor is. Like, everything about that, you wouldn't – even Kendall wouldn't have done that. You know, no one would have done that, I think, but for Connor, I think, and that's me.
0: Right. Um, so then we have the kids get together, and they begin sort of an internal negotiation of how they're going to play the three adults or the three officers, if you want to call them that, of uh, – um, Wicko get together and to go look at China in the kitchen and begin that negotiation. So we have two groups negotiating for who will be each group's potential candidate to be the CEO. And there were just some great zingers. <laughs> uh and some of those things I thought were pretty hard to say and pretty hard to hear, yeah. particularly if you're going to have to work with that person. Now, we both work in big law firms, and I've heard a lot of ugly things in big law firms. The ugliest things I've ever heard in law firms were in compensation committee meetings when I was on the management committee, and it was brutal in those meetings. Um, but they were just some great zingers um, about Carl and, you know, you were great thirty years ago, right? <laughs> with cable,
1: uh. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my lines I picked up because that was fantastic. I mean, and it sort of dovetails with what I was saying, either you know, last episode or the one before, about even Matts and then how there's this sort of new sort of tech speak that seems very like everyone's kind of been in yoga and they're saying like, "Bro, no, I hear you, I hear you," but they're saying really cutting things. This was like the slightly older generation's version of that of trying to say nice things or it's. It's packaged like it's nice, but it is so, you're right, it's cutting. It's to the bone on what they're they're actually saying.
0: So, Matson did not make an appearance in this episode, literally. Well, what did you think? And I guess I should have said Matson's also playing chess. Yeah. Uh, But what did you think about the call with Oscar? I mean, I felt my blood
1: pressure go up even in that scene. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He's icing them out. This is all, it's all going to fall apart because I, I I mean, all of the eggs are in that basket. I still am, you know, I don't know why, you know, it's what I said in that first episode. I don't know why they're playing, you know, too much hardball with that they all need that sale from what I understand. And so, you know, when he starts deciding that the power's back with him, he's not going to pick up their call or, you know, they, they say something like our father died yesterday. He's like, oh yeah, no, we did know that. Sorry. You know, I, I mean, they bad luck. He's pretty ruthless. So yeah, I thought that was a really telling scene about where I think the rest of, or at least the next few episodes might go of them going to see him. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him, you know, and, and uh, in stepping into nearly maybe the Logan Roy shoes. I will say the absence of Brian. is Another reason this is, it all feels a little bit, uh, Sunken. Even though I do think last episode, everyone else other than Logan really carried the day because he wasn't featured in it very much, but there is something about, it. you could almost feel the gravitas has declined a little when the absence even of that character is, is felt in the show.
0: What did you think about Carrie? Did you have any sympathy for? her?
1: Uh, well, I guess I say, it says something about me if I say no, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, A little, I mean, it was just such a meltdown, but if you go back and watch, she's a pretty terrible character in the earlier episodes. I mean, she's, she's trying, I think sometimes to reconcile Logan and the kids at times, but even that is, you know, she has her own, she's got her own skin in the game. And so it was such a meltdown. It was hard to watch. It was really cringy. And so you did feel for her, but it, it did, it did feel a little karmic in some sense, um, because she really wielded a lot of that power when she had it. And it, you know, how quickly, you know, they, the crown passes to, well, the original, I guess, matriarch or not even matriarch. She was just Logan's most recent actual life.
0: (laughs) I've actually had to do that a couple of times as a lawyer, tell the paramour, you got that in writing. Sorry. And that's a difficult conversation, but uh Carrie showed really a depth of emotion we had certainly not seen mm-hmm. before, and I thought it was one of the greatest t v humiliations I had seen at first. I thought Marcia knocked the bag out of her hand, mm. just slapped it um when I rewatched it, I realized Carrie just sort of fumbled it, but um you know she's almost on the ground picking up stuff and and then the line. Then Marsha utters, "Send her out the back to the subway so she can go home to her little apartment." Oh yeah, I was <laughs> like, "Wow, wow!" Um, I mean,
1: it was, it's really it's really brilliant script, you know, writing because you know the things that are in the bag are obviously your personal effects. There's no question about who Carrie is. I mean, it's all there. I did think what was really interesting about that scene to me was that Roman is the one who helps and who almost has the most empathy. Greg has completely jumped teams and is whispering in Marsha's ear how tasteless it is that Carrie's even there, and is really on Team Marsha. He sees which way the wind is blowing, I think. But Roman, I thought, had a sense of humanity that I I don't know if I expected him to show in that moment.
0: I, I absolutely agree. Well, let's get to... The musings, the document, the codicil, the whatever we should call it, and I still don't know what we should call it an undated, not signed document where Logan Roy identifies Kendall Logan Roy as his successor. But there was a line either under it, through it, or both. Um, at some point. And there were some other things on there. They made a particular note of the music uh, Logan wanted at his funeral, the name Greg with a question mark, which has a little bit about Greg later on. Um, let's start with legally. Is that document legally meaningful at all?
1: Well, I think they try to suss that out even in the show. Oh. Jerry says, well, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, so there is, I, the answer is, I think, no. I mean, it's not data. It's certainly not notarized. There's no uh, there's no even clear understanding what it the interpretation would be with that line through it or not. I mean, I guess it's curious to know if the original printing of it before he takes the pencil to it is um, is the binding will. And that the question is whether or not just alteration changes or not. And that might be a separate question, but I, I get the impression that they all find this, this is all news. And so was he crossing that out or is the underlying mean that he's you know, doubling down? I think the answer around all this, and I assume most trust and estates attorneys, of which I'm not one, would say that that is uh, evidence maybe and, and persuasive, but it's not a legal binding document from what I understand there's a reason we do have the formal processes of notarizing things and having a witness present that's what makes things binding but I have to imagine this happens also all the time and so the idea that you'd have some uh window into the wishes of somebody that 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 has some merit but not legal standing that's my that's my thought again this is well outside of my lane but I'd be curious what you think about that
0: Coincidentally, on Tuesday, I drove to Austin for wills and estate seminar. Oh, there you go. I needed some CLE, and it was the closest, cheapest that I could get. And this actually came up in the seminar. Someone talked about it, and they kind of went through the analysis that you just went through. <clears throat> and their conclusion was it perhaps had some persuasive evidence, but only perhaps. And but the other part you said, it's actually this does happen more often, not more often than not, but more often than you might expect. And in the context of a, uh, not just estate planning, but trust, where a trustee, a grantor trustee, will put some musings away somewhere and it will not be notarized, it will not be witnessed, and it may not be signed. And what do you do with that if you're the successor trustee? Do you honor those wishes or? You honor what's <clears throat> you know has been agreed to. Um, so the banter um, around whether they should destroy it, I thought was interesting. Was <clears throat> um, I think it probably would have been illegal to destroy it, even if it had no legal standing. But once they bring Jerry in on it, that ends, I think, any chance it will be destroyed. And I think they also made the right decision to bring the kids in and, and show them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, so this leads to perhaps Kendall's ugliest line of the entire oeuvre of succession, even more than when he killed that kid. Um, Or I suppose we should say engaged in manslaughter. (laughs) Um, And this is a PG podcast by design. So it's sure the F didn't say Shiv. <laughs> and I just thought that was the most cutting lot thing he could have said. Uh, he had never, I'd never heard him speak like that before. <clears throat> and he says it to his sister mm-hmm. and clearly she was taken aback by that. So what did you think of either that line or that whole scene where they bring in and tell the kids?
1: Well, I, to start with them, letting the kids in on it i was surprised another twisted I, I thought they were going to be more nefarious than that but it didn't seem like they're being very above board um and and even handed of saying it's maybe doesn't mean anything it means something um and so it sort of goes to our earlier question which is this does this legally mean anything and so i think that's where carl is suggesting it doesn't even mean anything so it's not a big deal if it goes away i think you know that then plays into this series of decisions that line up which is they think maybe it does mean something, in which case they then make the follow-on decision that they should tell the kids. Um, and, you know, I I think we see the Kendall we saw in earlier seasons. I don't think he's, like, reformed or not as, you know, he is a very ambitious, cutthroat guy, and we saw that early on. And they have had a number of breakdowns at various times. But I don't think that sort of core of his personality has gone away even when he's been playing nice and seems to be sort of a you know reformed a changed person maybe especially after his manslaughter situation i think that's still in there and he's logan's son and that's sort of what i feel like a lot of the commentary said especially after what he does at the end of the episode where he's like go hard and basically bury my dad with you know in an unnamed grave or unmarked grave kind of idea uh And it justifies it by almost saying that's what Logan would do. So I was, I was sad about it, but I wasn't surprised because again, it goes back to the earlier thing. Like Shiv just got destroyed in this episode.
0: So I really felt like I saw the closest thing to the little boy, Kendall, that i had ever seen. He had finally gotten his dad's approval. He wanted it all his life. His dad had never given it to him, and he had finally gotten it. Even more than being the CEO of Waystar Royco, Royco he, he had his dad's approval. And once again, the acting in that scene I thought was great. <clears throat> then the, the two brothers um, have a negotiation to become co-CEOs, and they freeze Shiv out. <laughs> and what was not clear to me when I watched it was, did she know she had no play because she was pregnant?
1: I, yeah, I thought that too. But when that comes out, and another thought I hadn't had until we were just discussing this here is that this changes so much of last week's episode, which is the day before. If you know, she's known, I mean, in that curl first call, she's had an amnio, like she's been in the doctor's office a bunch of times. So I, it almost makes me want to rewatch that knowing that this whole season, she's probably known this. I thought the same thing, like she's not going in too hard and that, that, that's going to be a really interesting way that they handle that I think going forward. But yeah, maybe she's, she's sort of shifting her thoughts about her future, at least in the short term or maybe even long-term. So yeah, especially vis I mean, Tom, that scene with Tom on the stairs she's almost a little vulnerable and then just gets up and walks away. I mean, all those, those scenes are really powerful.
0: Well, let's talk about Tommy, the toad, <laughs> because he's full toad in this one. He is back the wrong horse is that horse is dead. And that horse was Logan Roy. And now he's sucking up to whoever he can. And um, I, I just found that really hard to watch even more than Greg, because at least Greg got named in the musing
1: Mhm
0: but they pretty quickly dismissed Greg as as having any leadership role but I thought Tom was just as pathetic a human being as I have seen
1: Mhm Yeah fishing for information from everyone and I want I you're to want, serve Yeah you're exactly. to serve Yeah
0: Well let me t- I want to talk a little bit about the Stewie Kindle scene because that for me was the sig- signal scene of this episode hmm. probably saying once again, more about me than anyone else. So Kendall needs Stewie to back him to become CEO because the kids don't have enough votes. And after they trade a couple of Arbs, um, Stewie says, what's in it for me? And Kendall says, how about helping a buddy out the day after his dad died? And I thought I'd never heard Kendall talk like that. Um, I think they were roommates in college, and I was thinking about—I had two roommates, or I had one guy I grew up with, and one guy who was a roommate. Maybe so. I'd only have two people in my life that I would say that to, um, you know, in that situation, and mm. and I felt that he <clears throat> felt he was clo- that close to Stewie that he could say that, given everything that had happened over the first three seasons, including Stewie having his pubic hair singed from backing Kendall one other time. Um, and Stewie does say what's in it for me. There's never an answer to that question, but it was clear to me Stewie was playing chess and Kendall wanted to make one move, which was to become CEO. And Stewie realized this is in my interest to do this, mm. and he did it, and I thought that was just brilliant. But the the ask Kindle made that, that really Im- impacted me because, like I said, there's only two two guys that I would say that to, um, and they're both you know were friends. One was a friend sixty years ago, and one's a friend from forty years ago. So I think they are really close. And they had some bond, and I don't mean they ran over some munchling. I think they were college roommates or something uh, together. But Stewie's—he he's got a play coming, and oh, yeah. I can't wait to see it. <clears throat> so, your thoughts on that? Scene? Yeah,
1: I, it's funny. I, I I appreciate that, but to me, that also seemed like maybe a moment of weakness for Kendall. One, as you say, maybe that it was a, a moment of sort of acknowledging a longstanding relationship that should matter. I don't know if that ever matters. It feels like in this show though, I remember thinking like, oh, that's, that's a terrible answer. Like he's basically saying, I've got nothing. Can you do me a favor and make sure I become CEO when we've now seen, you know, three and a half seasons of that's not something that people do favors for including Stewie as he says. So I think you're right. that Stewie, you know, could say absolutely not, but I think you're right. I think he's playing a long game. He's seeing how, you know, all the pieces are going to move around the board and sees the reason for it. and then he's invited into the meeting with in the whatever library with the rest of them, even after Frank or someone objects, and Kendall's like, no, Stewie's here, because is a board you know, so elevating even maybe the power Stewie has among those in the room is maybe the first sort of signal that Stewie's going to have more, more power, and power maybe over Kendall in some way.
0: Uh, the scene in the room before the board meeting, the first time... I became a CEO of a nonprofit, or I guess a chairman of the board. Um, The former CEO took me aside and he said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Never go to a meeting. You don't know the answer and you don't know the outcome. And if you need any help, I will help you get the outcome you want. And so that to me, having the meeting before the meeting is always something you do and you know exactly how everyone's going to vote. You never are surprised and no one comes in with some argument and sways people. So, to me, that that was a pretty savvy business move, and I really saw that no more than, than that. And I thought Stewie's argument was precisely the argument he could and should have made from a business perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: right. Um, so they have the board. We don't see the board meeting, but they have it. And Kendall's then made CEO. Then we see Shiv's, I don't want to say storm out, but the scene where she falls and spoiler alert, my wife cried out, she's going to lose the baby. Uh (laughs) Right there. She said it. Uh Now it didn't happen there, but my wife is convinced that's what's going to happen. Um, I really, I didn't interpret this, the scene where she fell. I thought she was wearing high heels. She took down a, took a step. She tripped. I interpreted that just her discombobulation from what everything that had happened. I, I did not put any part of the pregnancy on there recognizing I've never been pregnant, so I can't really speak to that. And there's one person on this podcast who has been. So I wanted to ask you, is that a reasonable for to happen to a, a woman at 20 weeks or is it just kind of a combination of everything?
1: I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think you're, overly off balance i mean there could be a lot of different things i mean uh meaning you could have some blood sugar you know there are a lot of things that maybe could be a little off because you're pregnant (laughs) but no i don't think you're more likely to fall just because you're 20 weeks pregnant i think i think it was all those factors and yeah i i was i was a little surprised i wrote that in there that was either too heavy-handed of the the metaphor of it or it was um it just didn't seem necessary. I think I felt like we already saw sort of a little bit of the like taking Shiv down a few notches and the rest of the show that I wasn't sure we're going, but I hadn't thought of that. Your wife's theory that maybe they're setting that up to, to take it in a different direction. Um, but no, I don't think you're going to just fall down two steps of stairs.
0: So let's go to the end scene with Hugo because we've left two other scenes with Hugo out that we have to talk about. <clears throat> As they're entering the apartment, as Kendall's entering the apartment, Hugo's on the telephone having a quite graphic, what I thought was a phone conversation, but it turns out he's leaving a Alex Baldwin voicemail for his daughter, who had somehow found out from her dad that um, Logan had died and sold all her stock. Uh, perhaps insider trading, perhaps not. Nevertheless, Hugo tells this to Kendall about mid, midway through the episode and Kendall really doesn't react. And I had thought at that point he was basically going to say, you made your bed, you'll lie at it. Um, but he gets to the end. Now, why don't you pick it up with Kendall and Hugo at the end? And what did he really blackmail him?
1: I mean, no, it's how Kendall, it's how Kendall operates. It's how he it does business. He's like, <laughs> listen, Especially because in the, earlier in the episode, when Hugo confesses this to Kendall and is sort of asking for help, Kendall just turns around and is like, "I got nothing. That's on you." I mean, he really just said, "Sorry to hear that." Um, and then, yeah, I mean, a little bit of blackmail. You know, there's a there's pressure applied. He's turning the screws thing uh, because otherwise, we could make this really hard. Again, I don't know what he, how he's going to solve that either. I don't know, I mean, maybe he said he could make that more public or he could, you know, certainly mess with Hugo's job with that fact and maybe that potential problem coming out. So, but it was, you know, it certainly was a lot of pressure applied saying, I know, I know what, you know, where your vulnerabilities are, where you're, where there's a pressure point for you. So, yeah, I, so I have a question for you about something you just said, which is how, how would this not be insider trading?
0: Well, I I can't see how it's not because it was inside information that Hugo called his daughter from the plane, gave her the information before it was made public. She acted on that information and made a lot of money because it was before the stock price tanked. Right. So I just don't see how it can't be.
1: Yeah. I thought (laughs) that's definitely what they were teeing up that it's material. I mean, so, and you know, we now, in theory, at the end of the last episode or two we saw that there was this screenshot that Roman shows of how much she's worth. you know, we actually see the materiality if it can be measured in the stock price for sure, so yeah, I think it I think it absolutely is. I don't know how it how you're getting around that um. So, yeah, I think she's in a bit of trouble, especially because I assume she's not regularly trading in this. She's there, there's no sort of good immunization she would have on an on insider trading case there. But, yeah, so I think Kendall's taking advantage of that.
0: Well, I have to say this podcast has been quite cathartic for me. <laughs> I am not nearly as down as I was when I watched it. There was a lot going on. And I think we're going to look back at this episode and say, aha. That's where they took it. It all started here. So I did love it. I can't wait to see episode five. Can't wait to do another pod with you. So thanks again. Thanks
1: again, Tom. This was great.
0: Hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Succession. Season 4, Episode 1, as much as Karen and I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. And hope you will join Karen and I again for the next episode, which, of course, is Episode 2. I also hope you will subscribe, rate, and review The Woody Report, which features Professor Karen Woody. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.